Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to Episode 6 of The Science of Motherhood. Thank you for joining us. So today I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Dr. Nicole Hyatt, who is the Executive Director and Founder of the organisation COPE, which is the Centre of Perinatal Excellence. COPE is one of those organisations which I would have loved to have known about when I was become a first-time mother. COPE has a dedicated focus on the specific issues faced by women, men, partners and their families during pregnancy and the first year following birth in order to reduce the known personal, social and economic costs associated with undiagnosed and untreated perinatal mental health conditions. And their work includes... um, electronic approaches to psychoeducation, e-screening platforms, online training, and an e-cope directory with um, e-health promotion initiatives, amongst others. It was such a lovely discussion with Nicole. We spoke about one of their new Initiatives and products are called iCope, which is an online mental health assessment that you do in the privacy of your own home instead of, you know, sitting in front of a maternal child health nurse at that six-week appointment, which is just daunting. We spoke about risk factors, you know, and people who are more predisposed to perinatal mental health conditions and Of course, we spoke about the effects of COVID. So it is now April in 2021. And for those who might be listening to this in the future, we are one year on from the first lockdown here in Melbourne, Australia, where COPE is situated. And, you know, there are lasting effects. And we've also seen significant increases in the statistics of what was already most commonly identified risk factors, including abuse of drug and or alcohol, domestic violence within the home, and traumatic birth experiences because mothers haven't been able to have that support network around them, which includes their friends, family and others within the community. So I think this is a really important discussion um, that I had today with Nicole and I would highly encourage 
anyone listening to go onto the COPE website, have a look at their resources. They are absolutely amazing. You know, it's not just for mothers, it's for partners as well. And it stems from everything from planning a family, expecting a baby, preparing for birth, and then becoming new parents. So I really hope you enjoy our discussion. And please feel free to share this with anyone who you think that it would be valuable to. Okay, let's get into it. So hello, Dr. Nicole Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me today. So Nicole, you are from the CEO of the Centre of Perinatal Excellence. Did you want to start by, I guess, giving us a bit of background you were the spent 13 years at beyond blue as the deputy ceo and was there something during that time there that kind of sparked the interest or the need or a gap obviously for a specialization in perinatal mental health Look, absolutely. I think um, at Beyond Blue, so I managed a number of programs, including our, the national awareness campaigns and programs. One of the things that was, all, and before I was at Beyond Blue, I actually specialised in marketing and advertising research. And before that, I did a doctorate in clinical psychology, specialising in perinatal, so pre and postnatal mental health treatments. So one of the things I think that really struck me at Beyond Blue when we were doing the broader depression and anxiety awareness campaigns was that for this population of expectant and new mums, it's very hard to differentiate what is anxiety, what is depression and what is just normal parts of motherhood or becoming a parent. Um, Also having the information positioned underneath a mental illness or mental health brand was quite um, counterproductive because it meant if people were going to come to Beyond Blue for information about this topic and they might just be thinking, um, why am I unable to sleep? Why am I feeling the way I do? Why am I really feeling really emotional? You You would have to be at a point of acceptance, recognition and acceptance in order, um, if it was anxiety and depression, in order to go to a mental health website that focused on specific illnesses. So um, it was very clear to me that um, in order for people to feel uh, comfortable to come to a site to find information about the various broader range of challenges that can come with parenthood, we needed to position that differently. And that's where COPE is unique in that we focus on um, the whole range of challenges that come with becoming a parent. Um, And part of that is, of course, mental illnesses and mental health conditions that can develop, but it is broader than that as well. So it's about... Um, managing your expectations, about dealing with the changing relationships, it's about managing advice, it's about dealing with birth trauma, all those things that we couldn't cover under a very mental illness specific um, and only focusing on one or two conditions. So, um, yeah, so there's a couple of reasons there why um, I really wanted to establish COPE, to give it its own, it, it is unique, it is a unique time, um, but it was, um, it it's more uh, engaging and uh, for people to be able to come to a place that copes, you know, is really focused on the, the broader range of factors that can impact on emotional and mental health and well-being more broadly at this time of life. Yeah, right. And and I guess just touching on that mental health awareness, um, you were saying, you know, people are kind of Uh, didn't really understand perhaps the difference between anxiety and depression and that normal 
you know, stress of becoming a parent. Can you dive into a little bit about, you know, what are those differences and perhaps, you know, what are the contributing factors that you see with those particular subsets? So, first of all, it's having a baby is a very disruptive time. There are so many changes. There's so many challenges. And um, a lot of those things you're not expecting or prepared for. No one's talking about a lot of the things. No one's talking about how difficult breastfeeding can be and how that impacts on your your feeling of success or being competent as a, as a parent. No one's talking about, you know, people might be going into birth with thinking it's going to be candles and meditation music. No one's talking about the reality <laughs> yeah. of um, what birth is. And then when birth doesn't go to plan, the guilt and the disappointment and, and the... Um, and the trauma that can go with that experience. So um, it's, it is it is a time of upheaval and it's really hard to know, well, when has this crossed the line? When is this actually a sign of a condition versus just sleep deprivation, um, dealing with changes and, and managing the day-to-day adjustments that come with parenthood? So the key thing I think to look at is um, the type of symptoms or what the um, different symptoms are that you're experiencing and also then how long they're going on for and whether they are consistent and persistent. So, for example, um, we all have good and bad days being a parent. We all have times um, where we feel extremely sleep deprived. We might feel anxious in our role as a parent because we're not really confident, especially if it's our first baby. Um, And that is completely normal when you look at the context of becoming a mum or a parent for the first time. However, if those if you're starting to get symptoms, so for example, in the case of anxiety, so that constant worry and apprehension, thinking something terrible is going to happen, um, or overly concerned and worried about the health of the baby, um, coupled with so it affects your thinking, then that affects the way that you feel. So you're more likely to feel that ongoing sense of worry and apprehension and overwhelming feelings of anxiety. So we know what it's like to feel anxious before we go for an exam or go for your driver's licence or walk up the aisle. That's normal for the situation because your body is preparing for that flight or fight response. But when you're experiencing this on a daily basis without any external events to justify preparing your body, that is a sign that it's actually probably likely to be um, manifesting from the worrying thoughts that you're having, which is perpetuating those feelings. And so that's how it affects your thoughts and feelings and then that impacts on your behaviour. So in some cases, you try to alleviate those worrying thoughts. So if you're worrying about the baby, you might go in and constantly check the baby and then that brings you into this um, cycle of really your whole life then is around trying to contain and manage these thoughts and feelings with these behaviours and it can become a really vicious circle. Um, So once it gets to that point that it's starting to take over or impact on your life and you're experiencing these sorts of feelings for a number of weeks, say I think clinically they say around six weeks with generalised anxiety um, and it's really starting to impact on your ability to function um, and enjoy your experience of parenthood, Um, this is a sign that it's, it's more than just general sleep deprivation or general concerns, it's actually a condition that needs to be recognised in its own right and it's important to get the right treatment. Similarly with depression, so while anxiety can leave you feeling very overwhelmed and, um, you know, that constant worry and apprehension, depression at the other end of the spectrum can leave you experiencing feeling very sad or down, not having any interest or pleasure, 
in anything. Everything is such an effort. Um, you don't have any energy, motivation, and you're not getting joy or pleasure out of anything. Getting through the day is extremely hard. And we know this with depression generally, but if you put on top of that, dealing with a pregnancy or the demands of a newborn or a, or a child, it's, it's like a bad hangover with a baby there. Yeah. Um, it's just so much harder. And again, um, another reason for separating from Beyond Blue is because we really need to understand the context. The context here of having a baby, whether that's trying to have a baby, pregnancy, birth or the postnatal period, it's very unique. And it's easy to put these signs and symptoms down to it's all just part of having a baby. What did you expect? You've had a baby. So it's really important that we um, work within that context. We acknowledge the uni unique challenges in this context, but we differentiate what is normal and what is a sign of distress and possibly a sign of a developing emotional or mental health problem that needs treatment in the same way that high blood pressure during pregnancy needs treatment, in the same way that diabetes in pregnancy needs treatment, um, these conditions also require treatment. But often if we don't have that special perinatal lens on this to focus on that, we will miss it um, and we really need to understand and acknowledge that context. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh, from personal experience, I know I'm a type A personality. I love to be in control of situations. And going into my pregnancy, I would think I was, you know, fairy floss and lollipops. I was like, this is amazing. We're going to have a baby. And, you know, we're going to make all these special memories and things like that. And then this new human comes along and they have, are not on your schedule. Um, you know, they're feeding round the clock. And I just completely lost it. Oh, you know, I became a time watcher. Um, you know, I got um, assistance with a sleep consultant because I was like, my baby's broken. Why is she only sleeping for 45 minutes at a time during the day? And they're like, that's called catnapping and it's very normal. And I was like, that's not going to work for me, yeah. <laughs> you know. And yeah. I had to learn the hard way, which was, you know, this person is going to walk to the beat of their own drum because they're a human. And I I tapped back in with my psychologist who I hadn't really seen for over three years because I was like, everything's great. And then I said to her, I was like, I think I have like postnatal um, anxiety because I'm just like freaking out. And she actually said to me, she's like, okay, let's, you know, go through what's going on and, and things like that. And she's like, no, Renee, I think this is just you adjusting to motherhood. It's, you know, uh -huh. it is such a change. And I think particularly for um, people who are really first-time mums who are really into their career and then all of a sudden you're at home and you're by yourself because, you know, your partner's gone to work and things like that. So resources like COPE, um, you know, I was on the website and I'm just like looking up things and like, you know, trying to be informed and, you know, things started to make sense a bit more. And when things are normalised, I think that really helps mothers. Um, did you want to talk about some of the tools and resources that people can access on your website that yeah. You know. yeah, sure. Look, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up. One of the questions, part of the question you asked me before was what puts 
people at greater risk or makes people more vulnerable. Um, and one of the major risk factors you've just identified in yourself is that type A personality. Okay. So someone who has um, root, likes routine and order in their life um, and um, might become distressed if things don't go the way they've planned them to, often that personality type, so we call that type A personality, they're the ones who probably struggle more with the adaption to motherhood than someone who's just easygoing, see yeah. what happens. When the baby waits, the baby waits. Yeah. You know, that's sort of more laissez-faire um, personality. So that is actually a risk factor. So having that personality type is a risk factor. Another, you know, there's a number of other risk factors as well. So things like um, having a previous history of anxiety or depression, or other mental health condition is also a major risk factor. In fact, that's probably the most significant risk factor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really good to know this beforehand because then you can actually, knowledge is power in this space. So if you know that and you can look back and say, actually, you know, I haven't had any episodes of anxiety or depression for a while, but I did a few years ago, um, using that opportunity to reflect back and say, well, what, what were the early signs and symptoms for me, how did that present for me? What did I think was happening? And what did I do that worked and helped me get past that? Um, so really taking that opportunity to, to look at that and use that experience to help you identify possible signs early and how that might differ from just the general adaption to motherhood. Um, if you've had a serious um, other mental health problem, so um, for example, if you have a, a diagnosis like uh, bipolar disorder, for example, we know that your risk of relapse um, is higher in the perinatal period. So that's why um, mental health uh, health professionals, so your midwife, your maternal and child health nurse or your obstetrician, should be routinely asking you questions around looking at your level of risk. So there's actually a structured questionnaire that looks at your risk factors um, and identifies your risk profile in terms of developing a mental health problem. But they'll also ask you feelings around how you've been feeling over the last seven days. So whether you've been feeling that sort of sense of overwhelming, whether you're um, feeling like, you know, you're very emotionally fragile, and that will give you, and certainly some levels of symptoms um, are, are natural, but once it gets over a th certain threshold, that's like a screening tool to say, mm, maybe this person we need to do further assessment because they might be experiencing a, experiencing a condition. So um, I think quite often parents go into this feeling like it's a test um, and um, it's really about trying to understand and work with you to understand your risk profile. Um, and so one of the things that COPE has developed is a online digital screening platform, which is called iCOPE, and that will be rolled out in every public maternity hospital in Australia. Um, and um, this is about uh, really empowering the, the mother and also making this available for fathers as well to be able to do that self-assessment and actually receive a report back on their phone, via email or text, really going through, well, am I at risk? What are my risk factors? What can I do about those things? And am I likely to be experiencing anxiety or depression right now? And where can I get further information? Or where can I find a treatment service? So that's really about empowering the consumer, but also supporting the health professional to do a proper, thorough assessment. And one of the things we've found from implementing iCOPE across, you know, the great thing about it as well, we can provide it in all different languages and reports in different languages for the consumer. Um, but uh, with the feedback is that women actually find it so much more private 
to be able to do it on their own phone or digitally rather than being asked to fill out a questionnaire or being asked directly by the maternal and child health nurse or midwife. Um, and, you know, some of the questions are very personal. I ask you about your history of sexual abuse. We know that's a risk factor. Whether you're um, in a family violent relationship, whether you've experienced any previous abuse, these are all risk factors and it's important to identify and understand as the consumer how this makes you more vulnerable at this time and that's what the iCOPE tool is. So that's um, certainly one of, the, one of the developments we have. But one thing I would really recommend for anyone in your, uh, any of your listeners who are expecting a baby or recently had a baby, we have the Ready to Cope Guide. So this is a free e-guide that you can sign up to at any stage um, in your pregnancy or the first year. Um, when you sign up at readytocope.org.au, you just put in your name and when your baby's due or how old your baby is, and you'll receive really bite-sized information that's really timely and relevant about what to expect, um, all those things that no one's talking about that you don't know where to Google or find, it's really drip-feeding that information that's timely and relevant to where you are in, at the journey from an emotional and mental health point of view. So I remember doing one of these, signing up when I was pregnant, and it was telling me all about the growth and development of the baby. You know, it was now the size of a small grapefruit and it was growing its toenails. But there was nothing about my emotional or mental health or how I might be feeling, um, how I might need to think about building my village when I do go off on maternity leave. I mean, I was in the same suburb as you and it was like, I only knew my suburb on a Saturday morning at the cafes and it was always alive. Then suddenly I was home on maternity leave and thinking, it's so quiet, it's so dead. And they've, and that's, you know, I didn't, all my families overseas or interstate, I wasn't prepared for that. And I wish someone told me that I needed to build my village and think about doing that early. So just little things like that, tools and strategies to really um, support and guide you, but also importantly, we uh, we do talk about early signs and symptoms and how to recognise them. And at the end of Ready to Cope, we actually, you know, ninety-eight um, percent of people said that they felt supported and guided through their pregnancy. Um, they felt that someone was there. It gave them insight into things they wouldn't have thought about before. And for those who struggled with mental health conditions, they said that the Ready to Cope guide played a really important role in them getting help early. Um, and this is critical because we know from our research at COPE um, that 74% of people, so that's nearly three in four people, do not get help or treatment for anxiety or depression until they reach crisis point. So um, until they've got to that point that they're totally overwhelmed um, and the condition has become so severe that they cannot function or it's become very debilitating, whereas it's like, you know, getting treatment for an infection. Get onto it early, get the treatment early, and that might be medication, it might be psychological treatments. The faster you get treatment, the faster you recover. But because everyone's, this is the complexity with this space, everyone's putting it down to other factors. It's just sleep deprivation, it's just the baby blues, it's just the hormones. All those things stop us identifying the condition early. But also, I think, you know, as you mentioned, there's such high expectations that this is going to be such a wonderful experience. Yeah, absolutely. And we look at the beautiful Instagram posts and this is what motherhood's <laughs> going to be like. And when that's not our reality, often it's it's hard to come to terms with, well, why hasn't this happened for me? Why aren't I experiencing that? And that, of course, impacts on your sense of self-esteem, not only as a person, but as a mother. So it's really important that we provide people with that um, really 
guided um, information and support along the way to understand and contextualise what they're going through and realise that they're not the only ones. This is all part of the part of the journey and part of finding your way and being the best that you can as a person as well as as a new parent. Oh, so much to unpack there, Nicole. Um, I'm just looking at my notes there. So on the point of iCope, there's a few mm-hmm. things. Um, I love the fact that it's private. I distinctly remember, and this is over three years ago, going to the maternal child health nurse, I think, first appointment that you actually had at their centre. And they, you know, pushed two pieces of paper across to myself and my husband and they were like, just fill these out. And I'm thinking, what is this? And I've got a screaming baby in my arm because she needed to feed, of course, you know, when we're out and everything. And I remember having to fill this form out, you know, that checkbox of, and it was, you know, a, a mental health kind of check. And I'm thinking some of these questions, like if 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 a mother was, as you say, in a situation where there was domestic violence at the home and her partner is sitting right next to her, I would imagine that that, that would be such a compromising situation to be in. So I think this iCope resource sounds amazing. I love the fact, you know, we all love the fact that things are just shot through to our phone or our emails straight away. And, yeah, the the idea of receiving a comprehensive report just, I think, blows my mind and and it's something that, you know, we all need, which which is fantastic. Is that something that is going to be rolled out and you um, take the test post-birth or is that? Yep. Okay. That's both, both antenatal. So in maternity. Um, uh, so interesting. It used to be done on iPads in the um, in the consultation, and we first actually trialled it in a number of. It was a small innovation grant actually from the Victorian government. We trialled it in Brimbank and Melton maternal and child health clinics, and it was very very successful. And so then we lobbied the um, Prime Minister um, to roll this out nationally. We've also been doing it in with refugee clinics down at Monash Hospital. We do it in parenting centres. Um, we have it in uh, hospitals in Queensland and South Australia. And once people start with it, it's it's like you had to do, you know, going from a computer back to pen and paper. No one wants to go back to pen and paper. Um, but it is so important for the consumer to get that insight. And, you know, at the moment it's really potluck how good your nurse is um, in terms of interpreting the results. I mean, we even know there's um, researchers on there's up to 29% error rate in adding up the scores on the Edinburgh scale. Oh, which is the, so adding up the scores in a time-pressured environment, interpreting that correctly and providing feedback, um, the system does all of that and you know it's 100% accurate and you know it's informed by the national clinical guidelines and you're linked to further information that you can then follow up later that will take you through to the website on every single topic um, that's been identified and then we have also developed an online perinatal specific referral directory so I can put in my postcode say I'm looking for a psychologist for um, postnatal anxiety and it will bring me up a list of um, professionals I can choose for bulk billing I can review um Uh, refine my search to get someone who has an interpreter service I can really refine my search and um, that's about putting that power in the consumer's hands because at the moment again it's potluck 
The nurse may or may not have referral pathways. It just depends who you get on the day. And this is to, you know, imagine if we said with diabetes testing, well, if you got the wrong person on the wrong day, you might not get the right results. Um, it's just not good enough when it comes to emotional and mental health to be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just on the just on the kind of, you know, framework of testing, that um, seminal paper that came out of the Murdoch where they were screening for mental health issues and they showed that, um, in fact, you're more likely to demonstrate symptoms of postnatal depression and or anxiety four years post-birth. Is it something that you have thought about and integrated in with, you know, the resources and toolkits from COPE? Absolutely. So, look, the Ready to Cope Guide is all about um, empowering and teaching parents what these conditions are, what they look like, what they feel like. So people are learning that information, whether it affects them within that time period or later, they're still armed with that information and they have always will always have access to that information. Um, so part of the reason I believe why it is still happening over four years later is because the conditions weren't identified with the first baby. Often there's a second baby and people say when the second or third baby came along, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. It was there, it was mild or moderate, but it was never identified or treated. And so it persists and it goes on and on and it becomes the new normal until there's another pressure or another pressure or something else goes on in your life. And we know this is a time where there's lots of changes to accommodate with the growing family or changing financial situation or returning to work. There's so much going on. Um, these things cumulatively can take their, um, take their toll. So this is why screening routinely and universally is critical for every expectant and new parent we know that one in five women have anxiety in pregnancy. One in 10 um, will have depression in pregnancy. If we're not screening in pregnancy and then the baby comes along and sleep deprivation, traumatic birth, breastfeeding issues, whatever else might come on, you can see why then the rates go then much higher to one in seven women having postnatal depression, for example. So we need to be screening and identifying and treating these conditions early rather than letting them maintain and go on and then no surprise at four years, when the baby's four years old, the mother still has depression because it was never identified or treated. So screening is critical but also empowering the consumer with information about these conditions uh, through the Ready to Cope Guide, through the iCope screening, through the website and resources, that's empowering the information in the consumer's hand to be able to identify any changes that might occur and just being cognizant of those throughout their journey through early motherhood. Mm, yeah, they're all such important resources to have at hand. Um, just switching gears, so I guess we've been talking a lot about, you know, what uh, has been happening, you know, for the past five, you know, ten years and things like that. As you know, I mean, it's 2021. We're a year on now from our first lockdown here in Melbourne, Australia, um, due to the COVID pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of watchful eyes on how different countries responded and reacted to, you know, different medical situations. And so it's become increasingly evident how different hospitals I guess internationally, nationally, and even within the same state have dealt with the events of labour and birthing. Mm -hmm. What has your experience been at 
cope? What have there been changes to, I guess, the statistics around, um, you know, mental health and and anxiety and depression? Because uh, uh, the industry that we're in, we've seen probably a shift in women choosing probably more home birth situations because there were so many changes and it was on a daily you know weekly basis that the rules were just being changed you know who could be present at the birth how many hours they could visit for water births no water births you know things like that and I think just on that point uh, we've seen a double-edged sword so a lot of mothers have said you know it's been bliss because the hospital is very quiet and there's been no visitors and we've had time to really bond and establish breastfeeding if that was their choice and then when they got home you know they didn't have those people knocking at the door oh I just want to come and see the baby um not really (laughs) like pushing the mother aside but as I said the double-edged sword to that is that particularly for people who are extroverts they need that um, social energy. interaction and energy mm-hmm. from people and that support as well. You know, a lot of people haven't had the support um, from friends and family. I just wanted to um, ask, you know, if you could touch on what has it been like at your end? Have you seen those statistics increase? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, also being in Victoria, it was a very interesting um, like real-life experiment through um, with COVID. So certainly we also noticed changes across. So phase one of COVID with the first lockdown, um, with stage um, the first wave, um, the biggest anxieties for pregnant women were, what if I get COVID? So what's going to happen to the baby? Is there going to be some malformations with the baby? So there was a lot of anxiety around that. And of course, we never had any. um, So our role at COPE was really to be looking at the external evidence, looking at the overseas evidence and saying there doesn't appear to be any negative impacts and reassuring expecting new parents, even if you do get COVID, the impacts on the baby are so low, if anything. Um, so really providing. So we saw that that high level of anxiety in the first wave. In the second wave, we'd sort of, uh, we had definitely alleviated that concern around it. Um, and I think, you know, in Australia, we demonstrated that we had the virus more under control as well. Um, but then it was all about dealing with the impacts of COVID. So um, certainly the um, in terms of, say, first of all, um, maternity appointments. So they all went to Zoom or less appointments. And even really concerning now, I think, is that a lot of um, maternal um, appointments now for their antenatal care, they're not seeing women till 20 weeks. So we are well in, we're halfway through the pregnancy until you have your first appointment with people. Um, You're not seeing them face to face. You're not able to develop that relationship and notice changes from an emotional and mental health point of view. There was also increases, I believe, in the rates of stillbirth because there wasn't able to be the same rates of monitoring of the fetus. Um, So, you know, from a physical and emotional care point of view, um, both antenatally and maternal and child health appointments also stopped. Women have anxiety about coming to the clinic even when they could in case they would get COVID. And, of course, those people we talked about, you know, one in five women have anxiety anyway. Something like COVID is something that they would hang on to because it's a real fear and they will select the information, they'll listen to the news and it's more reaffirming to um, reaffirm their, their worrying thoughts about COVID and, as a result, they wouldn't go out at all. 
So then that leads to social isolation. We also, on the on the side of that, we know that family violence is most likely to have its first occurrence in pregnancy and then in the postnatal period. But on top of that, we know with being shut in the house, not having external people, um, the pressures that might have come with someone losing their job, the financial concerns, family violence went up in the population and would have gone up in this population even more so. Um, we also then had, you know, um, the, the changes in the job insecurity uh, for a lot of people and that, that would have impacted. Um, but, you know, talking to parents around... Um, now, you know, even people in my local community have taken an extra year of maternity leave because they said, I never had, I never had the postnatal experience. I never had, could celebrate my child's first birthday. I never had the christening. And there's almost like this great sense of grief that they feel totally ripped off. Um, and this also applies to the birth experience as well. So the changes to birth practicing, your partner could only attend for two hours every day after the birth. Um, it was this huge sense of grief and loss that this was not the experience that I signed up for or that I was expecting. And I think, you know, people coming to terms with that, um, as well as the social isolation, as well as the impacts of the social soci sociological factors like loss of job security, family violence, all increased drug and alcohol use, all those other risk factors just got exacerbated with COVID. Plus, you then you were unable to use the protective factors like social engagement with other people, um, in, you know, engaging with parents as babysitters and having that support. The protective factors were removed. The increased risk factors were increased, and um, I believe we are seeing higher rates now of postnatal depression, uh, postnatal anxiety. Uh, because of the impacts of COVID. And if you talk to helplines, their rates of, um, particularly in Victoria compared to other states, the rates of access to the helpline uh, significantly increased uh, because it was a, a huge increased risk of um, stress and we can see we are seeing the the impacts on ongoing mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I've read some of those statistics and it's absolutely frightening. And as you say, you know, the, some of these women used those social interactions to escape or just going to work, you know, at an office, they were able to escape, you know, the normality of their lives. Just quickly, you did say that um, it's, and fact check me, so uh, family violence is most likely to occur during pregnancy. Why mm. is that? So the first time it might ever occur is during pregnancy and I think that's around um, – the additional stress that the father might feel, uh, the additional sense of responsibility, um, and then also adjusting to the maybe the physiological changes of the woman. So all those things together um, and the increased vulnerability of the woman as well. So that greater control because she needs me, I've got more control, she'll need my financial, she'll need my other support. So that sense of um, power um, relationship also could be seen to change when a woman is pregnant and vulnerable as well as the other stresses. Mm, okay, that's very interesting. Um, look, I'm mindful of time, so I'm, I'm just going to touch on one last thing. Um, Mika and I, have you seen the documentary Birth Time? <laughs> No, but we are. Um, we have a group. Actually, that's a, I should mention. We um, Cope also has a um, national group called Mama Tribe, and um, our Mama Tribe community around the country 
are currently in the process of organising local screenings within there and it is on my list to do is to go and see Birth Time. I've spoken to the producers and the developers and it sounds amazing, but it is on my to-do list over the Easter break. Oh, that's wonderful. I think I will actually come and see it again. I... I was useless. 30 seconds into the documentary, I was just bawling my eyes out. (laughs) Mika just looked at me and she was like, okay, Renee, like I thought you were going to last longer than that. But for all the people who haven't um, heard of it, um, please crawl out of the rock that you are under. (laughs) Um, But essentially, you know, as a way of background, Birth Time is a documentary about three women and they embark on this mission around Australia, but they interview, you know, people internationally around, you know, the increasing number of women emerging from their births physically and emotionally traumatised. And I just find it's an – like uh, they did focus on Australia in particular. And I just wanted to know from a kind of research and statistics perspective, perspective how does australia fare in comparison to other countries because Mm -hmm. i I mean i think we all know that uh in terms of maternity leave Mm -hmm. we you know we get an okay kind of end of the stick um what are the what are the resources like and and how do we fare with the statistics around birth yeah Um, one of the one of the things when it comes to birth is australia has one of the highest rates of intervention around birth. So we, our rates of caesarean sections are significantly higher than other countries. Um, I sit on the Victorian Government's Quality and Safety of Maternity Care Committee and um, it reviews hospital by hospital the the rates of caesarean birth. Um, And overall, Australia has one of the highest rates internationally of caesarean. So we have the highest rates of intervention. Uh, so that's one thing which I think is in a country like Australia where we have, you know, the most affluence and resources and access to healthcare, you know, other countries like the UK certainly don't have this such a private model where you have your own obstetrician. I mean, birth is a natural thing. We've also almost medicalised it that you need a specialist. Um, it's, uh, you know, and I think, you know, just the level of intervention is one thing I think we need to really be mindful of. Um, as a country. Um, In terms of birth trauma and how does that compare to other countries, this is where I think it's actually quite, it's unknown because we don't, and this is where the screening is so important. If someone is doing a postnatal screen, we actually ask them about their birth experience. Would they describe their birth experience as traumatic um, or didn't go to plan? Um, Because at the moment, no one is asking those questions. Women don't get asked those questions. And, you know, birth trauma is something I'm particularly passionate about because I believe quite often it's um, really minimised. Women are not asked about their experience um, because of the potential liability for the hospital or whoever where the birth has not gone well. Um, so the experiences is actually ignored or minimised when and women are left feeling traumatised. Uh, you know, some statistics are out there saying that there's up to one in three births uh, could be would be described by the mother or partner as being traumatic. Um, now, these are extraordinary, extraordinary rates. Um, and I think, you know, the way that our system is but also um, no one really asking the question, taking responsibility but rather you know, minimising the woman's experience, um, putting a focus on breastfeeding. We know that if a woman has had a birth that did not go to plan, 
her need for breastfeeding to work and go well is even higher because she is trying to get her confidence back as a mother in this new role. I've messed that up, so now I need to do this properly. This needs to work to prove to myself I am a good, competent, natural mother. So, and often that experience in the maternity hospital, we've got countless pages and pages and pages in a, a survey that we did about people's experiences, the section that is full of long stories of terrible traumatic incidents is the pages around people describing their birth, but also the treatment by health professionals, which is adding to the trauma, yeah. minimising their experiencing experiences, not giving them the opportunity to debrief, um, negating any responsibility, get them out of the hospital, not our problem. These are all really significantly contributing to the trauma um, and certainly something that I think we need to really be taking a, a major stand on. And I think women are taking and partners are taking this into their own hands and looking at being very selective about where they give birth and how they give birth and who their providers are there to, to provide that care at that time. Absolutely. And I can, I know I can speak on behalf of Mika. She um, fell pregnant the first time in Canada and their model is very um, focused on uh, midwives, like a private midwife, not an, a private, you know, obstetrician. Um, and so she came back to Australia, uh, I think she was three months pregnant at the time. And, and she, you know, got into a a great program at the Mercy Hospital and she's gone back to that exact same program this time and she just said, you know, I wouldn't trade it for a thing because just that continuity of care has really um, just changed the way that she went into pregnancy and birth um, and getting yourself into that mindset as well because it's all psychological. Well, I think it's all psychological because that was my downfall um, during my pregnancy. I was absolutely hell-bent. I was like, no drugs, I'm going to go natural, everything. And then I finished up at work, came home, was on mat leave and my brain spiraled. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And I ended up having an elective cesarean because I just completely like lost the plot. Um, So, you know, that is absolutely fantastic that, you know, you guys have got all of those resources available and it's you know, from pregnancy to postpartum. I think it's just amazing. I'm really mindful of time, so we are going to wrap up. But I, we ask all of our guests one um, of our questions at the end, which is what do you have on your bedside table? What do I have on my bedside table? Well, I've got a very small bedside table, but there's a, there's a glass of water, there's a small vase for fresh flowers from the garden, um, there's a charging station, of course, <laughs> which takes three devices, iPod, you know, um, headphones, watch and um, phone. Uh, what else is on there? It's a pretty crammed space and usually there's a pen and something I'm reading. So it's on the bedside table. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. No problem. Look, Nicole, thank you so much for your time. You have just blown my mind with the amount of resources that COPE has given women the opportunity to have at their fingertips. And I'm so proud that this is part of a Victorian thing as well. Um, You know, coming from a research background, I'm so encouraged that you saw that gap and that you filled it and it is just amazing. So we will link all of those resources in the show notes um, for all the listeners. But again, thank you so much for your time, Nicole.
Thanks so much for having me on. Excellent. Thanks. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.